feel so blessed to be with you, church. What a joy, what we do week in and week out, serving the Lord together. Uh, title this morning is Glimpses of a Future King. And uh, this week, this week uh, I was in Starbucks preparing and... Wow, just what an interesting thing. Right there in the middle of all the Starbucks chaos, I was almost to the point of just weeping over this text. And uh, you've got employees and you've got, you know, it's Starbucks. So you've got all these customers and you've got me over here in the corner <laughs> just trying to wipe my eyes and just amazed at the third king, who is so often not mentioned in the text. Um, for those of you who it's your first time this morning, again, thank you for being here. We're in a series in First and Second Samuel, and one of the big takeaways in Samuel is you think it's about the two kings, Saul and eventually the future king, David, it's not. It's not about those kings. It's about the future king for them, yet to come. It's about King Jesus. That's what these are about. And so I was pretty undone and uh, just so grateful for the word of God and that I get to preach it this morning. In these two chapters, chapter 23 and 24, we get some really up-close pictures of David, the future king. Uh, what, what is this future king? What is he made of? And we get these close, I'm going to call them vignettes, four, four of them that we're going to look at this morning in these two chapters. How is this future king, how is he responding under, I don't know if we really get the sense in just preaching through or just reading through the text, the, the enormous pressure that this man was under as he was literally wanted, running for his life. And that goes on. There's obviously, you know, a range of, of uh, Old Testament scholars who would put that on a certain number of years, but that goes on for years and years and years, which we read in what, like four or five chapters. So what is this king made of? And we come to these two chapters in particular, and especially in chapter 24, that it's going to slow down. We're going to lock in. What is this king made of? So let's dive in. Point number one is the future king rescues and seeks the Lord. So David's on the run, he's hiding in caves, and a report comes to him, and that's where we'll pick up chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. It says, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of, oop, I'm in chapter 22. Let's go to chapter 23, since we preached that last week. All right, chapter 23. Now they, they told David, behold, the Philistines are fighting against um, Calah and are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore, David inquired of the Lord, shall I go and attack these Philistines? 
And the Lord said to David, go and attack the Philistines and save Kayla. Now, I don't know if it's Kayla or Kyla. I'll probably change it every time I read it. So just go with it. But David's men said to him, behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Kayla uh, against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord again, and the Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Kayla, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Kayla and fought with the Philistines and brought away um, their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David, and I circled this, saved the inhabitants of Kayla. Wow. Ah. If you'll remember from last week, and if you weren't here last week, it's okay, but chapter 22 is this episode um, of Saul annihilates the town of Nob. He uh, has Doag the Edomite uh, completely annihilate the priesthood. One escapes, one priest escapes, we'll talk about him later. Uh, And Doag the Edomite goes further than that. He uh, annihilates women, children, livestock. He just destroys that little city of Nob. And so you've got this contrasting king thing going on that we've been talking about. And so you've got one king, right, whose his role as a king, what, is to provide protection for his people who live in his dominion, those very people that he is to provide protection for in his dominion, he has wiped out. And not only is he, are they wiped out, but they're wiped out. These are his people. These are the people of God. He has them wiped out by an enemy. Doag, it's told to us every time his name comes up, the Edomite. He is an enemy. And so Saul will use an enemy to destroy his very own people. That's chapter 22. Chapter 23 is this contrast. And David will provide safety and shelter, right, to those people. Well, he's not the king yet, but he will, provide, he will do kingly things even before being a king. He is the future king, and he's already doing kingly things, caring He's putting his life on the line by going to save these individuals. Uh, In this case, Kyla. You know, a leader is a leader not because he or she is giving a position of leadership, but because the person is a leader. Encourage us, be leaders. David is a king, or he is kingly, not because... Uh, He has the title or position. He's doing what a king ought to do without having that authority or without having that position, even while being hunted down by the king. And so that's what we have there in those first five verses. Uh, Let's pick up verse number six. When Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, had fled to David to Kilah. So Abiathar is the priest who escaped from Nob. He's the one that got away. All right, that's who we're talking about here. He had come down with an ephod in his hand. We'll come back to that. Now it was told Saul that David had come to Kilah. And Saul said, God has given him into my hand. For he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. He's trapped. He's a trapped rat is what he's saying. 
And Saul summoned all the people to war to go down to Kilah to besiege David and his men. David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him, and he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. Then said David, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Kilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Kilah surrender to me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. Then David said, will the men of Kilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And I would answer, right, certainly not. And the Lord said, they will surrender you. Then David and his men, who were about 600, arose and departed from Kilah. And they went wherever they could go. Uh, Wherever they could go, when Saul was told that David had escaped from Kilah, he gave up the expedition. And David remained in the strongholds, in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. Sorry, Maddie, that was pretty fast, wasn't it? I forgot. She asked me, please go slow. It's tough. It's going to get tougher. (laughs) Hang in there. Um, So this is the priest, Abiathar, who escaped chapter 22. And he's bringing the ephod. What does that mean? Which is to say, when, when Scripture notes that, it's to say, the priesthood lives on in Israel. And he's got the ephod. What's that? That was an apron. It was crafted, designed for the sake of the priest. But what's more important than the crafting was its symbolic meaning. It represented the presence of the Lord and the voice of the Lord to the people. So here you have, and this literally just gave me chills. Like that just gives me chills. You've got the king, annihilate the priesthood. One escapes. Why? Because there's a third king in Israel. One escapes, and he's carrying the ephod. He's carrying that which represents the presence and the voice of the Lord to the people of God. Wow, here he comes. And David says to him, bring me the ephod. Here we go. The priesthood lives on. The voice of the Lord will not be snuffed out. By the wicked king. The word of the Lord remains. And in the darkness of this day that David was living in, in all that darkness, all of that running that was going on, what an encouragement to that man who is to be the future king. Here comes the priest and he's got the ephod. In the darkness, the light is shining. Here comes, we could say it this way, here comes Israel's mediator, right? In that day, that's what the priest was. Here's the one who goes to the Lord on behalf of the people and makes atonement for sins for the people, who brings guidance to the people. That guy, he lives. He's alive. He escaped with his life, and he's bringing that ephod. Saul kills off those guys, but one lives, and here he comes. What's that? What's that? What, What is he carrying? Oh, he's got the ephod. We have the presence of the Lord and the voice of the Lord. And here he comes. Advantage, future king. (laughs) 
In the midst of David's utter darkness, he has a priest, and it's a shining light in the darkness. And so he inquires of the Lord. He wants to hear the voice of the Lord. He's seeking guidance from the Lord in the midst of all of his suffering and uncertainty. And church, we don't have an ephod. And we don't have a priest. Humanly speaking. Because we have the great high priest. Because... As beautiful as this is, Abiathar escapes with his life. The king went to the grave and rose from the grave. That's your high priest. That's who you go to. And we have the voice of the Lord. We don't need to um, do some super spiritual hocus pocus what i need to hear a word from the lord today and press in and press in here read the word of the lord this is the word of the lord the light shining in the darkness of our day we have it in our laps it sits by our bed open it dig into it read it Oh, we've got the word of the Lord. It should be, oh, like David as he sees, oh, the priest, he's coming, wait, he's carrying the ephod. Oh, the priest, he is risen, and you have his very word to you, available to us. Just amazing. This is our guide in the darkness. This is our guide in the midst of uncertainty and suffering. All you need is right here in this word. No, no ephod needed, no priest is needing, needed because you and I have a better priest. We have Christ Jesus. And so we pick up in verse number seven. So David persuaded, whoop, I'm in 24 now. Wow, am I jumping around? 20, uh, 23, verse seven. Now it was told Saul, that David had come to Kilah, and Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. And Saul summoned the people to war to go down. They're going to besiege him. And we read that. Amazingly, David saves these people, and then he inquires of the Lord, Lord, will they give me up? And shockingly, Yes, they're going to give you up. That's stunning. They're going to give you up. Why? Because, well, they, they, they feel the need to create some distance. See, David is toxic. I said last week, you know, those 600 men that join him in the cave, that's a death wish. Um, but they're a ragtag bunch of misfits. Here, you've got this town, and they're like, well, they will siege the city. And perhaps they heard about Nob. Saul will lay lay waste to us. And so we we need some distance between us and toxic David. We don't want that death wish. So sorry, David. If we hang with you, we're dead. Certainly, that calls us to remember the third king. Where many... Of his followers, out of fear, distance themselves from him. Christ the King. 
He came to rescue. He came to save those who will literally turn and betray him. The people of Kyla were rescued, and yet how quick they are to suddenly turn against their savior, if you will, their protector, their rescuer. And Judas walked up to Jesus and kissed him and gave him up. Furthermore, Jesus rescued us. Let's be clear who we are in the picture. We're not um, as unbelievers. We're not in his dominion, in his, uh, well, we're, we're the enemy. We're the doak. okay? That's, that's who we are. We like to put ourselves like in better light than that, but we're Doag the Edomite. We are the enemies of Christ, and that's who we, we, we are. That's who we were when Christ came to save, to rescue. He didn't rescue you because you got all cleaned up, and he said, wow, you're all cleaned up. Look at how godly you are. Let me rescue you. He rescued you as Doag the Edomite. David rescued friends, if you will. He rescued people who belonged to the people of God. Christ rescued you and I as enemies. The great high priest rose from the grave. The priesthood eternally lives on in Christ. And David, the future king, interceded and he sought the Lord's guidance What should I do? How should we handle this? Are they coming? Yes, they're coming. Will they give me up? Yes, they will give me up. And our king now sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you and I today. And just as David had the priest at his side, he had access to the priest, friends. The great high priest is at your side. He had access to this priest. You have access to the great high priest who is Christ your Lord and Savior. And that's been, that access has been provided to you and I by nothing less than the blood of Christ. Number two, the future king and a friend who strengthens. Let's read, we'll pick up in verse 15. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, do not fear for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horesh. And Jonathan went home. What a friend David has in this guy, Jonathan. What a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend, though, David, Jonathan. I like this because Jonathan doesn't just lift him up. This is not... um, 2022 psycho babble like just kind of pick you up boost you up you're a good guy you're gonna make it you're you're good David just look at how good you are and on and on and on it says he strengthened him 
in the Lord. He, and, and strengthened his hand in God. It's just so God-centered, such a God-centered friendship that we're reading about here. And it's so beautiful. And I just want to ask us, do you have a friend who you can say, he or she strengthens me in the Lord? I know we announced it earlier, but can I just say community groups matter. We know that the Bible doesn't say thou shalt do community group. We know that. But there are endless pictures throughout Scripture where we see the, the, the value of a friendship. Can I, can I just speak to the community group picture for a minute? Because when we talk about community groups, we're not talking about, hey, give up a Wednesday night and attend somewhere on Wednesday. We're talking about this. We're talking about building a friendship of a certain sort. A type of friendship that strengthens you in your weakness in the Lord. Doesn't just come to you and says, hey, you're a great guy. You're a great gal. You can do this. You can handle it. Bear up. No, but seeks to bring God's truth and God's word into and strengthens you in the Lord. It's a big difference. We're not talking about attending a group. We're talking about building this kind of friendship in the group. So I just want to add my voice to these signups over here. Even if you're already in a group, we're just asking everybody in the room, would you sign up? And let's dive into community groups the rest of 2022. And let's build these kind of friendships that strengthen. Of course, it takes, takes my mind to Hebrews 10, which says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as, the day, as you see the day drawing near. The king is Jonathan's dad. <laughs> it's his dad. Jonathan, humanly speaking, should be the next king. Well, that's, that is a dear friend to the one who will be king. Because there's a third king in Israel. King Jesus. And King Jesus is a strengthening friend to you and I. Jonathan will have to split up with David. We read about that. They're going to go their separate ways. I'm not sure. I think this might be their last time together. Could be wrong on that, but. You will never split. Christ will never leave you. Christ will never say to you, okay, and now it's time for me to go home. Oh, what you have in the third king. Christ the king. Number three, the future king is rejected, threatened, and delivered. Let's pick up our reading here in verse number 19. Then the Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds at Horish on the hill of the Hachalah? How do, you, how do you do that? Which is south of Jeshimon? Now come down, O king, according to all your heart's desire to come down, and our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hand. Okay, so these guys are like, you know, they haven't been rescued by David, but we're just going to give him up. 
We just don't even want him anywhere, even in our wilderness near us. We're going to give him up. And Saul said, may you be blessed by the Lord. Okay. Thank you, Saul. For you have had compassion on me. Go make yet more sure. Know and see the place where his foot is and who has seen him there. For it is told me that he is very cunning. Oh, brother. See, therefore, and take note of all the lurking places where he hides and come back to me with sure information. Then I will go with you. And if he is in the land, I will search him out among all the thousands of Judah. And they arose and went to Ziph ahead of Saul. Now David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon and in the Arabah to the south of Jishimon. And Saul and his men went to seek him. And David was told, so he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued that after David in the wilderness of Maon. Saul went on one side of the mountain and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul as Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them. We'll, we'll pause there. It's another city. It's another people who belong to God. They're under no threat like the people of Kila were. Um, and so they just, we're just going to turn them in. We need to be reminded at this point that David is God's chosen man. And the reason why we need to be reminded of that is because we tend to think, probably especially in America, that if I'm God's chosen man or woman, that would mean an easy life. Certainly, it wouldn't mean being hunted down I'm just going to say by one's government. That's what's going on here. Certainly it wouldn't mean having people who are supposed to be, we're all God's people, turn you in wherever you go. And so if you're suffering, if there is uncertainty, if you yeah, are under enormous challenge and difficulties, uh, don't question the hand of God, whether or not you're chosen or not. Um, you, you, you may be suffering, according to Scripture, because you are chosen by God. Well, David is facing this severe suffering and opposition and betrayal, and even that comes from one's own people. It, it's, it's hard enough to wrap your head around, you know, being threatened and suffering due to the opposition but this opposition actually comes from within rather than without. It'd be like saying, you know, another church in grace partnership is just after us, right? Like we're in partnership together. We're, we're doing this together as opposed to saying the world is after us. Well, I get that. Enemies are hard enough. But when the suffering comes from within, wow, it just provides a whole different set of temptations. And Christ is the better king in Israel. His own did not receive him, right? A prophet has no, no honor in his hometown. Paraphrased from the Gospels. 
And so Saul, verse 21, Saul said, may you be blessed by the Lord. Well, what a bunch of religious speak that is. You just put religious jargon and make it appear as if there's any sort of godliness going on at this point in Saul. May you be blessed by the Lord, for you have had compassion on me. And that's what really matters to Saul, is me. There are three kings in Samuel. Christ the king does not speak with religious jargon. This city is quick to give David up, and the crowds were quick to do the same to Christ the King and even mock him to hang a sign over him over the cross, King of the Jews, in mockery of him. And in our text this morning, the drama is building, the threat is increasing, entire towns are turning him in. Where can he hide? Do they have him? We think we have him. And then verse 27. A messenger came to Saul saying, hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. That sounds so random, like in the middle of all this building drama, and Saul has finally got him. The town's going to give him up. We've got our guy, and then a messenger comes and says, hey, you know what? Like While you're off on this chase, of a threat that's not even a threat to you. Back home, the Philistines are attacking us. Saul has to pack, pack things up, pack his army up. We got to get back. We got to protect home, which is what he should have been doing in the first place. And all of that just sounds, verse 27, just sounds so random. It's not random. The third king in Israel is sovereign and he's at work and he's bringing about his king, his chosen man, David. And in so doing, he is sovereignly orchestrating that another king will come. I'm not talking about David. I'm talking about the one who will come from the line of David. David must be preserved. David will be preserved because through the line of David will be the king, the king of kings. And that king will come Not to save little city here, little city there. He will come to save the people. Number four, the future king's close encounter. So we've made our way to chapter 24. This is where the the drama really slows down. It's just like a movie when you get to the chase scene, right? And they get closer together. What? You just get more. Because this is what we've been building towards. This is the closest we're going to see the king and the future king get so the story's going to slow down more details going to be given because we have the future king and the king in close proximity what's going to happen who's going to kill who right now what happens in this cave we're about ready to read i don't know how to say it's stunning it's sovereign it's hilarious it just is it's hilarious and i don't know what to do In that I'm the one preaching this and it's also unavoidable. Okay, so that's where we're headed. Um, The English translation kind of spells it out for us. I understand when it says that Saul entered the cave to relieve himself, that in the original Hebrew, it states that he went in to lift his robe. 
all right, or remove his robe to relieve himself. All right, so there you have it. That's happening. Okay, let's begin. Verse 1, let's get there. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way where there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. All right, so there you go. Caves were dark. Caves were big. Um, caves were dingy. Uh, David and men, they're already in the cave, clearly deeper into the cave, um, when Saul goes in to use the cave as the wilderness toilet. All right, kings, kings have to do that too. Okay, so I'm just curious. How did she just do toilet over here? Yeah, yeah, there you go. So if anybody wants to learn, all right, some sign language, there you go. So he goes in, and I'm just imagining, right, like, hey, you know, the, the hush over, the, over his men, and wait, someone's coming in. Silhouette, now I can see, like, light up <laughs> what is happening here? Hawking. Oh, Hawking. Oh, Verse 4. David's men cheer him on. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Oh, that's not what they, they, they take his life. The Lord is giving this clearly is your opportunity. Take him. End this now. And can you imagine being one of those guys? Like, come on, man. We've been, we've been on the run for years. This, my friend, is opportunity. End this, end this here, end this now. And David sneaks up to Saul and he cuts off a corner of the robe. Now, robes have played a part in the book of Samuel. It was Hannah who, what? She, she sewed a robe for little Sammy when he went off to preschool, right? Here's your robe, Samuel. And that was a thing. In chapter 15, when Saul disobeyed the Lord, kept, we've referenced it last three weeks, and he didn't obey the Lord um, by destroying the Amicalites, and Samuel shows up and, and loses his mind on Saul, and just, what have you done? Oh, well, I kept this flock and the king so we can make sacrifices. What have you done in disobeying the Lord? And... And he, uh, Samuel says over, over Saul, the Lord has torn the kingdom from you over your disobedience. And what, what happens? Saul grabs the robe of Samuel and it tears. The kingdom is being torn apart is the picture there. Jonathan later on has a robe, right? He's, again, humanly speaking, he's to be the future king. He's got a robe. What does he do with it? As the heir to the king's throne, he takes it and he gives it to David. Wow. Amazing. Now David 
cut the king's robe. He now holds a piece of the king's garment. It's just not, it's not just a random article of clothing like we would think, oh, he just cut some clothing. No, the kingdom of Saul is being torn apart here and it's moving towards David. He has a little piece of that kingdom. Hear me, church, we come to Christ in filthy rags and he clothes us in his robes of righteousness. You, if you are a believer here this morning, you are clothed in the king's garments of his righteousness. Revelation will tell us that the king will return, what? In a robe dipped in blood. It's his blood. Verse 5, and afterward David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. And you know, these guys have got to be like, what? He's feeling convicted. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. He didn't take the life of the king because David is being kingly. Kingly. He offers mercy and compassion. And even in that, he feels bad. He feels convicted. He has a conscience about what he did. And that's amazing to me because he realized I've got the king's robe, a portion of it. And the only way David can come to this conviction is by knowing God, by knowing who God is, knowing this this man that is hunting me is God's man. Oof, this is going to be difficult for us this morning. Hang with me, we're nearing the end. He knows the third king, David does. God the king is sovereign, and so this is the king that God has right now. And I can trust the third king. I can trust the Lord God the king. I can trust the Lord God the king who has my best interest in mind and the best interest of the people of Israel. Wow, that. I don't know if you're connecting pieces to that, but that's quite a message. Living in America. What a message for the Christian living under secular government today. Saul's conscience continues to be calloused. David is growing sensitive. Soft towards the things of the Lord. Saul knows nothing of what's happened at this point in the cave. He leaves the cave. Verse number eight. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, my Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, behold, David seeks your harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen 
how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you. But my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients says, out of the wickedness comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog, after a flea. Again, may the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. Wow. Odd to me that at that moment, Saul doesn't just send in his army. Perhaps this episode rattled him that much. You know, there was a time when Saul had an army of 3,000 great soldiers and they had gathered together and not a one of them would even dare lift a sword against the giant Goliath. But a little shepherd boy comes strolling along, explained to the king on that day that the Lord had already delivered him from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear And the Lord is able to deliver him from the giant as well. Who is this David who now shouts to the king with respect and pays him homage? Maybe Saul at that moment was rightly terrified. Who is this David? Well, verse 12, he leaves it with the Lord. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge avenge me against you. Verse 15. May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you. Only. You can't say that if you don't know God is the sovereign king in whatever it is you're facing. You see, if you are the sovereign king, if I am the sovereign king, then we need to take matters into our own hands. We need to deal with this enemy. Saul's got 3,000 trained soldiers. Soldiers, David's got 600 ragtag misfits. And what David is saying, and I'm willing, I'm going to leave this one up to the Lord. I don't need to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to let the Lord be the judge between us. Can I ask you, is there anything less American than that? I have my rights I am supposed to fight for them to the death. Romans 12 tells us, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. My sovereign kingship wants to rise up. 
against Romans and against what David is doing here. David refuses to take it. He refuses to take the life of the king. He refuses to seize the throne. It's going to be his anyways. Go ahead, take it. You know, those 3,000 soldiers, as soon as Saul's dead, they'll join with David. It's not going to be an issue. He refuses to take it. There's a third king in Israel. Peter writes about him. 1 Peter 2 is about our persecution and our suffering and us being reviled. It's in that context that Peter writes, when he was reviled, Christ, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And he died. Christ the king didn't revile in return. He left it to the father who judges justly. Amazing kindness. As soon as David, verse 16, had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. It's a moment of tears, but it will quickly fade into self-preservation. Let's just finish out. Verse 17, he said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I've repaid you evil. If the worship team could join me on the platform. And you have declared this day how you have dealt with me, in that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, he will let him go away safe. So may the Lord reward you with the good for what you have done to me this day. And now behold, I know that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore. This is, all right, that quickly shifted to self-preservation. By the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul. Then Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Promise me, right, that my legacy will live on. Remember where Samuel began, began with a woman in tears crying out to the Lord for a baby and a priest who thought she was drunk. And the Lord gave her Samuel. There are three kings in the book of Samuel. The one who we want to grow in knowing most is the one who is ruling and reigning, King Jesus. Sometimes he's hardly mentioned. Sometimes there's never a reference as to God the king. And yet that's the irony of of the book he is the king whether the lips will speak his name or not he is the king what's our take home you and i are not the king (laughs) we are not sovereign we want to take matters into our own hands because we think god the sovereign king certainly he needs our help we join with the men hey clearly god has set this up take the man's life here end this here and now The take-home is, no, friends, we can trust Christ the King with our friend, with our enemy, with whatever that is that we're facing. When we know that Christ is sovereign, we can trust Him. We can trust Him when we're being hunted by enemies, this world. We can trust Him in the cave. We can trust Him in the suffering. We can trust Him with our lives, and then we can live our lives in such a way that we honor the King. We can be kingly 
We're not the king, but we represent the king in this dark world. We can repay evil with good. We can do what is honorable. We can live peaceably. And we can trust the Lord to judge justly. When people betray us and do us wrong, let the Lord be the judge. Trust in the better king, King Jesus. Let's stand together. The better king is not David is better than Saul. That's not the point of the book. It's not that David is better than Saul. It's not to tell us, oh, go with David. He's the man. The point of the book is not you or me. David or Saul. The point of the book is that there's a better king in the book of Samuel, in the book of your life. The story that is Trinity Community Church. Christ is the better king. He's the better king. Let's praise him.